Amen. How are we doing this morning? Good. Pretty good. Some of y'all are acting like you picked Purdue to win the national championship, but some of us are excited to be here. Um, no, we're, we're happy you're here, um, whether this is your first time with us or whether you've been here for a long time. We're just glad to be in the house with you this morning. And yeah, as we're diving in, so we are in the middle of the book of James. So we're doing a series called the book of James. So we're not, uh, we're not hiding the ball there. Um, we're not trying to, you know, live off buzzwords. You know, it's not like, I don't know what the buzzwords are. We've used them in the past. So I'm not dogging on buzzwords as sermon series titles, but this one is just what it is, you know, the book of James. So if you were here with us last week, Tyler shared on James 4 and we're going to be picking up where he left off, but just as a brief recap, um, he just talked about submitting ourselves to God and resisting the devil and what does it look like to not slander one another, not act as the world does with each other, with other believers, but to live above that, to live to a higher standard and to actually build one another up for his glory and for his honor. So we're going to pick up where we left off, um, but yeah, before we do, I mean, I had some perspective shift this week. I was telling Tyler this morning. So when I was a freshman in college, I was going through James and I think he said he, you know, tried to memorize James at one point, like I did. Maybe that's a normal thing. I don't know. Um, but I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this. Also fell a little bit short of memorizing the whole thing, but I was like excited. And at that point when I was like chewing up scripture and just reading through James, there was no part of it that like gave me pause of like, wow, this is like, really controversial or hard. I was just like, okay, sweet. That sounds good. It's kind of like in, uh, I think it's John six where Jesus is talking to a whole crowd of people. And he says, um, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then like the next verse, basically everybody leaves. And, um, so that was kind of how I felt. I was like, I'm about to talk to a crowd, not just like me alone in my room. And James is actually like a little bit hard to receive sometimes, you know, it's not, not the most, um, what would I say? Just glamorous. Yeah. It's not David writing Psalms on the harp and like, just talking about how wonderful God is. Like it's talking about how wonderful God is, but it's in a little bit more, uh, distinct, deliberate way. So, um, yeah, as I was just thinking through that, I'm like, man, God, it's still, it's still your word. It's still good. Whether I'm sitting alone reading it in my dorm room or whether I'm talking about it on stage, it's good. Your word is good and we need to hear it. So before we dive in, I'm just going to pray for us as we get into scripture. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are good. Thank you that your word is good, that your spirit is good. And there's no other place that we can go to, that we can look to that's going to be more beneficial for us, that's going to be more um, freeing for us and give us more life than you. So we just love you. We thank you for your word. And yeah, Lord, would you just speak through me this morning? Would anything that's um, not of you be forgotten and anything that is of you stick? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I alluded to, to Purdue and, and basketball, but I'm just going to start on a side tangent. I don't know if that's allowed. Um, usually you like start on course and then you end up on a side tangent, but I'm just going to go for it. So March Madness, we're in the middle of it right now. And um, I don't know about you, but if you've got a bracket, it's more than likely shot to pieces at this point. Um, so 
not all of us, Billy's doing all right in the, in the group we got. But um, if you don't know, A&M kind of didn't show up the first game. Um, so we're out. I picked them actually to go win the national championship. Uh, so, hey, you can, you can take shots all you want. I'm through and through. Actually, the name of the bracket that I picked A&M to go all the way was Texas A&M all the way. And I didn't even name the bracket. Somebody else did. So I just assumed that's what we're doing. Anyway, the point is, I bleed maroon. I grew up, you know, with Aggie stuff all over my walls. Both my parents were Aggies. I dreamed about going to A&M. And actually, this week, I was thinking about it. This Sunday is my 10-year anniversary of attending Antioch for the first time, my freshman year, when I, when I came to A&M. So I was um, a little bit of a clown my freshman year, like most freshmen are, no offense, uh, if you're a freshman in the room. Uh, but I was just doing my own thing, um, kind of dawdling about, thinking that I had the world figured out. And um, I went to church on occasion, kind of checked in on a Sunday, but I was, I was living for me, right? Came to college just knowing what the plan was. And so as I was thinking about, you know, coming to Antioch my first time, that first Sunday 10 years ago, this was really relevant and felt like really timely, this scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Um, because I was like exactly the attitude, exactly the persona of the person James is talking to um, in James 4. Um, so I had, yeah, basically I just had this classic American dream mindset where I knew everything it was going to take to get the degree, to get the job, to get the family, to get the accolades, and I didn't need any other advice. Like I was excited about the future that was already built in my mind. And if you were going to encourage that uh, vision that I had for my life, then come on, tell me how good I'm doing and, and keep putting wind in my sails. If you had any pushback to any of that, then you probably don't know what you're talking about. Um, so, you know, get behind me. Satan was kind of my attitude. And that's not, that's not actually what God had for me. So we're going to read some scripture this morning, and hopefully he's going to show us some things in our heart that we can, we can correct and get back on track with him. So if you've got your Bibles or if you've got your phone, open up to James chapter 4, verse 13, and we're just going to read it. All right. It says, the subheading is called Boasting About Tomorrow. It says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In chapter 5, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has, rotten, has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Whew. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. 
You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, Similar to like how we're calling the book of James, the study, the book of James. He's just telling us um, exactly how it is here. Um, So, we're going to get into it verse by verse. I thought we'd do it a little bit old-fashioned, you know, just... Just break it down verse by verse. That's how I studied it. That's how uh, I feel like God's showing. So that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, um, I was a little torn this week or last week when I was starting to pray about this uh, sermon and and prep on it because at first glance, I felt like this was kind of two sermons in one. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a little hard. Do I focus on James, the end of James 4 or do I emphasize the end of James or the beginning of James 5? I'm not really sure. So I went to Billy and I was like, Billy, you know, what are, you, what are your kind of thoughts here? You helped kind of structure the whole series. I can do one, I can do the other. You know, what, what are you kind of thinking? And he's like, man, I just think you should really do whatever you, you, feel, <laughs> you feel like God's saying. And I was like, great, awesome, super helpful. Um, so after that, I went and prayed like he suggested. And it was, it was actually what I needed to do. Um, so when I was praying, I was just like, Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to say here? What do you want me to emphasize? And he led me to a proverb which very clearly and succinctly like, ties these two together. So we're going to pull up a little graphic here. I don't know. There we go. All right. So James 4, boasting about tomorrow on the left-hand side. James 5, warning to rich oppressors. And I'm just going to read this proverb, Proverbs 16, 18, and 19 real quick. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. So I don't know if you can hear it in there, but it's talking about pride and arrogance over here, boasting about tomorrow. And then it actually says the word oppressed um, in the next verse. So be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed. Better to do that than share plunder with the proud. So at first I was like, okay, this is great. This is what I need to, to bridge the two together. And it is helpful, but I also um, think that there's a secondary application, if you will, to this bridge verse, and that is it is a path of travel. And as I was studying the scripture and just seeking God's heart on it, he started to show me a path of travel from a little bit of pride, a little bit of self-indulgence to like full-on destruction and how we get from one to the other. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning as we, as we dive in. So we're going to break it down verse by verse. So we're going to start at verse 13. It says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So I want to take some time to look at this because on the surface it does not seem particularly like nefarious or harmful, right? It's just like, hey, we'll just go do this. We'll try that, you know, just kind of see what happens. But I really do think that like the seeds of pride are embedded in that sort of attitude, that sort of just like, I don't know, we'll see what happens, you know? And I don't know if this sounds familiar to anyone, but it was like all I thought about And pretty much all I heard as I was like finishing up my college career and heading into the real world, heading into young adulthood, it was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll just try 
you know, something. I don't know. Maybe I'll go to Dallas or Houston or Austin, this or that city. Uh, maybe I'll just make money, you know, just start building a career, start saving a little bit. It's like, seems, seems prudent, seems wise. I'll just do that for a little while, and then maybe I'll start my own business. I don't know. We'll just kind of see what happens. And I'm not taking shots at that attitude. I had it myself. Um, but there is something pretty clear that James and that God is trying to teach us here of like, maybe that's not the best way. Like maybe it doesn't lead us on the path that we ultimately want to go. But when I was first looking at it, I'm like, at worst, this just feels a little flippant. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And at best, it's like, no, you're being opportunistic. You know, you're leaving doors open. And there is a pure way to do that, just so you know. But I think what he's speaking to is we just, we just want to leave all options open so that we have an escape route and we can manufacture things ourselves if we need to, you know, at, at the last minute. So the assumption here is, or the attitude is, that we can figure it out um, with our own plan rather than ask him at the very beginning God, what are you saying? Where are you leading me? Um, so I'm almost 30 now, not quite there, so still got some youth. Um, back is hurting a little bit after cutting down some trees yesterday, but that's all right. Uh, I'm almost 30, so I haven't seen this happen as many as maybe some of you in the room have, but I have repeatedly already seen the fruit of this attitude play out in the following years. So, right, you're 22, everybody's got excitement, everybody's got ambition, maybe you're starting a new job, maybe you're moving to another city, but it's all potential. It's all excitement. And it's kind of hard to test the attitude of the heart when you're in that playing field, right, when it's just all excitement and expectation. But over the last eight years, seven, eight years, I have seen the fruit of people's lives that had only this as their foundation turn from him, turn from Jesus and do their own thing. And those that were like, man, maybe they still have an open-minded idea of God wherever you want to lead, but it's God wherever you want to lead, not what do I want to do and how can I build my kingdom and, and do the thing for myself. So, um, yeah, it's sneaky, but um, there's, there's this subtle kind of whisper of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it myself, I'm going to make it on my own. Um, so James, on, James goes on to say after that in verse 14, he says, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So yeah, I don't think, like I said, I'm young. I don't think I'm the most qualified person in the room to talk about what it's like to get old. Um, but I'll just go ahead and give it a shot. Um, so I have, I have a three-year-old and I have a one-year-old. And in the last, um, I don't know, this went within the last few months, as I've been putting Judah to bed, there was one moment in particular where I was like tucking him in and we were doing our prayer, singing, singing a song. And I just had this like flashback moment to when my parents would tuck me in at night and sing a song and pray. And it was just this very like weird, not deja vu, but just this like out of body experience of like, oh my goodness, I was just doing this, but I was the kid being tucked in. And now 
I'm tucking my kid in, you know? And it just felt like there was not a long period of time in between the first and the second. I was like, that was just like, that was like five years ago, maybe, you know? Uh, it wasn't five years ago, for those of you who were worried. It was longer than that. Um, but it was just this weird deal of like, this just, this just happened, you know? Like, wh where did that time go? And I think when we have this mindset of like the future's gonna be forever, you know, we're just gonna have endless opportunity, endless, um, yeah, just endless time to change course or change path, and I'll ask God about what I should do later after I've kind of seen if the thing that I have planned works out first. Um, we're, we're deceiving ourselves, you know? And instead, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that, like today, not wait until five years from now or 10 years from now. Like, let's do that today. Um, and this is like very countercultural, right? Um, our culture says like, do whatever makes you happy. Just, just figure out what's working for you, what's your truth. Just, just make it all happen on your own time, in your own way. Like, just do it how you wanna do it. Um, but that's not the theme of humility that we see in Jesus' life, that we see throughout Scripture. So I've pulled a couple different verses that speak to this theme of surrendering to our self-will um, because it's all throughout the gospel, all throughout Scripture. So first, in Matthew 6.10, this was the most obvious place that I heard it in the Lord's Prayer where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is Jesus talking to his Father. If any of humans had the right to like figure out a plan for themselves, it was probably Jesus. And he said, not, not my will, but yours be done. And um, John 3.30, um, John says, he must become greater, I must become less. Luke 22.42, in the garden he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So it's, it's hard to, to know exactly where your heart is just by looking at the surface, right? We can go around and people can actually be doing almost identical circumstances and one can be fully submitted to the Lord and doing it because he said so and the other person can have manufactured that plan all by themselves. So it's hard to, hard to tell right on the outset. Um, but I think if we, if we humble ourselves and we ask God like, hey, am I operating off the plans that you've put in front of me or am I just making it happen myself? He's gonna show us. Like he knows the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart and he's gonna reveal that to us. So it's really just about where is your heart rooted? Um, and are the things that you spend your time in as you spend your time on as you look towards the future, um, things that God has said or are you operating independent of, of him and his guidance? So in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And this is, uh, this is tricky, right? Because again, it, it's subsurface. Um, but we can't depend on what seems right um, because we will go astray if we just try to stick with what seems right. Um, so Tyler touched on this a couple weeks ago, but how do we not just live based on what seems right? How do we actually follow what God is saying? And he gave three real helpful, real basic um, like guideposts, if you will. That's the word of God, 
the Spirit of God and the people of God. And if all of those things are consistently speaking the same thing and, and moving you in the same direction, you can have a high degree of confidence that you're not just doing what seems right. You know? You're doing what God has, has instructed and is being confirmed in a couple different ways. Um, and there's a few of these in my own life that I've been so thankful for um, because they haven't been things that just seem right to me, because that is my default. I would argue it's most people's default, right? You just want to logic your way through it. That's what our culture kind of ushers us to do, is like, hey, do, figure it out. Like, don't, don't just be, well, some, some voices are saying just do whatever makes you happy. But other ones that you could argue are a little bit more um, grounded are like, hey, do what makes sense. Um, and that also can be a little bit off. And so we need, we need to be driven by what God is saying and speaking. And there's a few words that I feel like God has given me and my family. And these are just examples to kind of get the gears turning on what it might be for you or what God might speak to you as a, as a filter for life. Because we just have so many decisions to make in life. And if you're just like starting from ground zero with every decision that's in front of you, you will get absolutely exhausted. Um, so a few things um, that I feel like God has spoken to me and to my family over the years um, when we were in Michigan, which, by the way, shout out, we got some Michigan peeps in the house, um, back row. We've got some friends of ours visiting this weekend. Um, but while Alice and I were there, we were there from 2018 to the end of 2020. And um, while we were there, I just spent time because I, I did feel a little bit more isolated. I felt um, like I didn't have all the people that I ran with in college. I had friends there, and, and we had good relationships, but I was just like, God, I need to hear from you. I need to know what you're saying. And so a few different words that he gave me were, would you rather be respected and admired by many men, or would you rather spend your life establishing the kingdom of God in unfriendly places? And you know, that's a question, that's not a word, but I intuited the answer. Uh, I was like, okay, God, like I cannot spend my life pursuing recognition, like pursuing the praise of man. It will just absolutely not sustain me. That's what I want. Like I would love for everybody to love me and to say you're doing great and just respect me. Like that would be amazing. I think all of us would want that to some extent, but I would rather spend my life like establishing your kingdom where there is darkness, where there is, you know, opposition to your kingdom being established. And in those environments, you don't always get praise. You don't always get that affirmation that you might want in your flesh. So that was a big one. Um, around that same time, I think it was around World Mandate 2019, God said to send them to the ramparts. I was like, that's awesome. Sounds really cool. What is a rampart? Um, so did a little bit more research. And if you don't know, a rampart is like on the castle walls. There's the like crenellations. I was an architecture major, so I'm going to throw some words at you. Jason knows what crenellation is, um, which are like the, the up, down, up, down stone around the perimeter. But the rampart is like the foot, the whatever, platform right behind like the edge of the wall. And so I felt like God said, I want you to send them, send people to the ramparts, like to be on the wall, to be fighting, to be speaking truth in hard places, to, to just be on the front lines. So I was like, 
okay, Lord. So when there are decisions to be made of like, do I sit back and do I sit in the barracks and just study or do I send people to the rampart? Like I've got that one, you know? And it's not a verse. I can't like speak to the specific time, but I know scripture supports that idea. And I know God has, has said that to me through his spirit. So that's one. And then the last one would just be ruses are need meters. I've always felt, or not always, but since following God and submitting to him, he's shown me like, hey, I want you to be a guy who stands in the gap. I want you to be someone who, when other people can't or won't do something, you'll step up to the plate and say, we'll meet the need, we'll, we'll be there. And I don't do that any, say any of that to like pat myself on the back. I'm just showing some examples of when we don't just do what seems right to us, but we take the time to seek God and say, Lord, what are you saying, both for the decision that's in front of me, but also long-term path? I wanna, I wanna build what I'm doing off of what you're saying, not off of what seems right to me. So, um, if we keep on going here, um, in verse 16, this is where we end up if we don't do what I just said. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So, all such boasting is evil. Um, that seems a little harsh at first glance, um, but I really think that even well-intentioned plans can and often do transform into arrogant schemes. Um, and, and it does it very slowly and very sneakily. Um, but it, it shifts from just like, oh, I'm gonna keep an open mind, I'm gonna see what's out there to like, okay, I found something that I actually really like and now I'm gonna hold on to that thing regardless of what God says that might contradict it. Um, so we start boasting in these things that we've um, really landed on for ourselves, um, almost to justify it to ourselves sometimes. I know I've been there before. Um, so we think our plans are better than other people's plans. Also, just in general, I'm, I tend to boast. I don't know if anybody's ever played sports uh, with me. I was going to say specific sports, but I don't want to list all um, the ones that I've maybe boasted in. So um, like spike ball, uh, racquetball, you know, things like that. Not the, not the mainstream sports. If you're like wanting to play basketball or football, find someone else. But if you got like a niche sport that no one's really that good at, I'll be there. Um, um, but anyway, where was I going? Okay. Why do we boast? Insecurity, right? We're like, oh, I'm gonna make it seem as though I'm so much more confident about this thing than I actually am, but it's, it's pride at the root of it. Um, we want to appear important to other people and we want justification from others. It goes back to that mindset that I was saying before. You know, We want to be affirmed, want the praises of others, and all of it is looking for something that only God can satisfy. Only he can actually give us the confidence, the true confidence that we need to walk out in the plans that he has for us. So moving on in verse 17, um, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, excuse me, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Um, so I don't know exactly what this means theologically all in, um, but I just told you what you should do. So now you're on the hook. Um, I guess that's, it's now sin if you don't do it, um, according to verse 17. So look out there. Um, but we do have a, a different standard as believers than non-believers. And I think sometimes we forget this, and this is what 
verse 17 is speaking to is we as believers have the um, impetus to seek God and say, Lord, what are you guiding me on? Whereas people in the world can just do whatever they want to do and that's normal. Like, we shouldn't be mad at other people for, for doing that or jealous of like, ah, oh, man, he's just going to get that high-paying job in Dallas because he just doesn't care, you know, about what God's saying or doing. It's like, yeah, that, that's true, and it's okay, you know. He's ultimately not going to have the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the identity, and the purpose that God has for him, even if he is making six figures, even if he is, you know, whatever, eating out every night and doesn't care. Like, that's not, that's not a factor for you because we can, we can rest in what he's calling us to and what he's, he's saying and what he's doing. So it is good that we have a higher standard because he disciplines those that he loves. So moving on straight into chapter five, it says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. All right, so just keep, keep coming, James. Um, what this is not saying, and then we'll talk a little bit about what I think it is saying. Um, what it's not saying is if you have a net worth over fill-in-the-blank amount, you're destined for misery. Um, I think that's like, the, on first glance, like what we want to grasp to, because it's like, I know what rich is. Rich is that guy that I know. Um, but that's not... Not the case, um, because where do you draw the line for rich? Um, I'd argue nearly everybody sitting in this room is really rich by the world's standards. So it's, it's not really a number, it's a heart attitude that you have or don't have. Um, and so he's speaking to the greed and the attitude of the, those who lord power and riches over other people. And as I was thinking through this, I felt like God led me to um, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. Um, so if you don't know the story, essentially there's a servant who his debts are called in and his master says, you need to pay up. He owes in today's money about $600,000 to his master. And he's like, I, I don't have it. Like, be merciful to me. And he, he is. He forgives the debt entirely. And he says, go, be free. You don't owe me the 600 grand, which I'd argue, pretty good day. Um, but this guy, he walks out and he sees one of his other like co-servants who owes him 12 grand. So not like zero money um, in today's standard, but he just got forgiven 600 grand. Um, so a little perspective. And he says, you need to give me my money right now. Um, and shows no mercy to him whatsoever. And that story ends with the first servant getting thrown into prison and tortured until he can pay the money back, which I don't know how he's going to do that. Um, he's not, is the point, I guess. Um, so just this, this attitude of like, he, the first servant didn't have a lot of money, you know, but he had an attitude of lording riches over others or lording power over others. Whereas the first guy, the master, he actually had a ton of wealth, ton of money and showed mercy. So what is our, our heart? What is our attitude? And there is a correlation between riches and um, pride. So I don't wanna just totally gloss over that. 
Um, so I'd argue if, if any of you in this room, if any of us in this room do have um, enough, have seen a lot of provision from the Lord to, to take that to him and say, God, what are you wanting to do with this? Um, because it is more difficult when you have a large net worth to stay humble as a general rule of thumb. I'm not going to dive any deeper to that, but I think we can all agree that's probably pretty true. Um, and it's why he continues to warn us as we go to verse two. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Hmm. So I'm not going to dive into this because this isn't really what I'm talking about. Um, but retirement is one way that we do this in our culture, right? This is how we hoard wealth. And I've seen the difference between fear-driven retirement and purpose-driven retirement. And it's like night and day different. And so it's not like, again, it's not a number thing. It's a heart thing of like, God, what do you want to do with my 60 plus years? Not as a 40-year-old, okay, Let's store up a bunch of money so that I don't have to work after I'm 60. You know, that, that's a pretty distinct difference. And he is clearly calling it out here of don't do it <laughs> because, well, bad things will happen. Um, there's going to be corrosion. Your clothes are going to get eaten. Your flesh is going to burn like fire. Um, it's a bad deal. So don't sign up for that. Um, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Again, the unmerciful servant parable here coming out of, hey, when you are not merciful, when you do not pass grace to others, the cries of those that you are oppressing are going to reach the ears of the Lord. <laughs> so be mindful of that if you are thinking about being unmerciful to others. Uh, verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So this last analogy stands out to me a little bit more because we have recently, we being my family and I have recently gone on the homestead journey. Um, so we just got a house a little bit outside of town on five acres and we just got chickens yesterday. Um, so I'm like full on like livestock mode, agriculture. We're going to do it the old fashioned way. Um, so right now we just have chickens. We don't have pigs. Um, but I have a cousin who has pigs and actually slaughters pigs. And so sorry if there's people that that bothers in this room. That's not the point. Um, the point is, just on an objective level, pigs get really, really, really fat towards the end of their lives, and they do not care. Like, they have no idea what is happening, right? <laughs> They're just like, wow, more food. Great. Like, and just eat, just gorge themselves. All the while, farmer man is like, great, keep, keep on going because it's going to be good bacon. So um, the point is we can like be just as blind sometimes when we insulate ourselves with comfort and self-indulgence, right? We're just, just give me more. Like, oh, I just want that raise. Oh, I just want the bigger house. Oh, I love that car. I'm going to get that car. Like we're just self-indulgent people. We get fat and fat and fat and a day of slaughter is coming. And that sounds harsh, but it's true. If, if we're going to be blind to 
what God is speaking here in his word, um, then we're going to be like that pig that's just eating and eating and eating and not knowing what's coming. Um, so, yeah, when we do that, uh, verse 6 tends to happen as well. It says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. So I'm going to go ahead and have the band come up um, as we close here. But um, I think it's pretty clear who we're talking about here in verse 6, who James is talking about. Um, Jesus was the innocent one, and he was not opposing us in the sense that he was not trying to compete or steal plans from us that we had in our hearts, or he's just not, that's not his character. That's not who he is. He might have been opposing the darkness and the evil in our hearts, but he's not opposing us. And when we go on this journey, if you would throw that uh, graphic back up the bridge, uh, when we start with a little bit of pride and a little bit of self-indulgence, a little bit of we're going to make this plan ourselves, we start over here, but in the end, it gradually, first there's pride, and then there's a little bit of arrogance, and then there's some boasting, and then it's like full-on independence. And I think because our culture props up independence as such a valuable quality, we lose sight of the fact that if we're independent from God, we are in opposition to God. Um, And yeah, just going back to that proverb where It says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Jesus was actually killed by a lot of people who were doing what seemed right to them, right? Um, And I'm not saying that that's what we're doing. We're not (laughs) trying to kill Jesus, but there are ways that we're living our lives and that I'm living my life that seems right to me, um, but it's it's ultimately going to lead to death. Um, but he was followed, and I believe there's a lot of people in this room that fit in this category that are saying, not my will, but yours be done. And the more we can adopt that heart and that mindset and say, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to just do what seems right to me based on the circumstances, based on the facts that I have, based on some prior experience that I have that someone else was in a similar position. Like, I don't want to do what just seems right. Not my will, but yours be done. That's, that's the heart that he wants us to have and that we can see so much more fulfillment and satisfaction and blessing in our lives as a result if we'll stay in that place. So if you would, go ahead and stand up. Um, I'm just going to pray for us here in a minute. Um, but yeah, as actually, can I have some prayer team people come up as well? Um, as we close, but I really just want us to take a minute. Like I said, we could wait five years, we could wait 10 years or whenever things get really hard to ask God, what is your will? (laughs) Or we could do it wherever we're at right now today. Like if you're in a hard spot today, it's a great time. If you're thriving today and you feel like all the plans that you've kind of made are working out in your favor, still a good time to say, not my will, but yours be done. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I just want us to ask God collectively, is there pride in my life that's causing me in any way to act in opposition to you? It might be obvious. It might be subtle. um, But I think God wants to show us ways that we've lived in a way that seems right to us, but ultimately is going to lead to opposition to him. So. 
Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that your word is good, that it's true, that it's pure, that if we will humble ourselves and, and seek you with pure hearts, that you will reveal ways that will ultimately be for our good and for our benefit. And yeah, God, if there's anybody in the room, myself included, that feels like it would be too high of a cost to give up the plans that we have for ourselves, would you just reveal to us the more that you have, the thing that you wanna trade and give us in exchange for that plan or for those plans that are that are working for us in this moment, but aren't gonna work in a few years. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are for us, you're not against us, that you have our best at heart. And yeah, God, we just say that you should be glorified, you should be lifted high. And we love, um, yeah, we love walking in surrender and, um, and humility to you. So yeah, speak to us now, in Jesus' name.